How'd you find KBB? Um, that is a hilarious story. So KBB, I found KBB by accident, <laughs> complete accident. That was not, it was not my choice. So I mentioned I own a couple of other businesses. One of them I'm a co-owner in is a marketing company that's specifically Google partner. Well, my, one of my business partners in there, she is one of these people that has always like always as in literally her entire life loved motivational speakers and would pay for this and that and this and that. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, Sharon, you're just doing this and that. And you're spending thousands of dollars here, thousands of dollars there. And I didn't understand it. Honestly, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Um, I, again, I've, I'm in the health and wellness world and I, I very much believe in mindset, but before KBB, if you would have asked me if I was going to pay a motivational speaker, I would have laughed at you and be like, no, but, um, Sharon was very adamant. We have got to do this. We've got to do this. Well, I'm like, whatever, I will pay the money just for you not to say it anymore. <laughs> you know, I will pay it. If you just get off of me, we will do this together. So we did, we joined it and we've done it together. And I was surprised on how much I actually got from it. Um, yeah. I really was because I thought, I thought I'm very motivational. I, you know, I've, I've done speaking and I don't need anybody to motivate me. I feel like I'm super hyperactive and motivated all the time, but I didn't realize how much I would actually get from it. Um, and I got so much from it. I mean, to the point that I'm like watching it and taking notes and, you know, yeah. all this stuff, it, it sucked me in. And I, I, I told her after I was done, I'm like, I'm so glad you harassed me into doing this. It was the best decision I ever made. And, you know, I, now I'm a big giant fan of all the stuff that they do. And I've joined some other stuff that they're in. And, you know, it's, it's funny because it, it's like a lot of other things that we decide to try to do in life that we're very hesitant because we're usually hesitant of the change and not knowing what's going to happen. And the, the, the idea that if, well, if I try this and I'm gonna be out two grand and you know what I mean? We, I wasn't looking like, I didn't think I had anything to learn from them. Honestly, I didn't, I was like, yeah, what are they going to teach me? You know, those for people that just want to sit around and do nothing. And that's not me, you know, but it wasn't like that at all. It was taking you wherever you was, whatever level you're at, wherever your feet are planted and yeah. motivating you to do bigger, better. And that's what I really loved. So yeah, I, you know, I jokingly, like I tell people now that knew that I was not the, like, like not a huge fan of motivational speakers before all this. I'm like, I drank the Kool-Aid. Once you drink it, I'm telling you, it'll suck you in. And then, you know, I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely been very eye opening, and I never would have guessed it. Yeah. It's been excellent value, like excellent value. I, I started uh, September, 2019 and I've, I've seen Dean Graziosi, lots of times on infomercials and uh, have never really paid much attention until his millionaire secrets book came out, whatever the, whatever the title is, but um, great book, you know, easy read and just things you can implement immediately. And uh, that was a few years ago. And I, I think I just clicked on another infomercial and there he is doing KBB and talking about that with Tony Robbins is like, wow, that's, that's pretty interesting. So I go through all the copy and cause I'm interested in marketing as well. And I'm thinking, wow, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need and uh, get involved in September and then get right into the course, you know, for three weeks and uh, struggle with something or, that next episode was two and a half hours long. So shit, I got to book some time for that. And, um, uh, next week, 
yeah. and <laughs> dragged it out for a year. And the yeah. August 31st, I'm just looking at my, uh, my diploma on my wall here. So August 31st, I completed it. So before the year was up, I got it done, but excellent value and all the challenges that they have in between has been excellent, just over delivered. Yeah. And, uh, I'm so glad I stuck with it and stayed a part of it. And, you know, and then we end up in these Facebook pages and that's been a great resource. And, uh, that's where I found you looking for people to come on your podcast. Yeah. I'm always looking to talk to people who, well, it's, it's funny. Cause again, coming from the same mindset of you think, you know, X, Y, Z, but everything's so perspective based. There's always somebody that's going to give you another perspective of something like, wow, I never thought about it like that. Even if you thought you did, somebody gives you this other perspective. And, and I love talking to new people and hearing you know, their perspective of whatever it is that they're, you know, that their business is or, you know, where, where they're at in life. Or, you know, I have people that have come on even that don't even own businesses that, you know, they've overcome something that was just catastrophic or should have been catastrophic and they define their own success in the midst of it. And that's kind of, you know, the idea behind Successfully Chaotic as a whole is there's no one you know, way of doing success, quote unquote, you know, and when I was younger, success only meant the money, the cars, the house, the, you know, whatever. And that, that could be a part of it. It's not that, you know, those things aren't great. They're fine or whatever, but I know a lot of people that, you know, have reached those levels and do those things and they still don't feel successful because they're still missing so many pieces inside of them. And, you know, that goes to show that, you know, success is literally a mindset. Yes, Absolutely. I started Bob Proctor. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bob Proctor, but he's very much about mindset and um, same idea as Tony Robbins. He started probably much earlier than Tony Robbins. I think Bob is getting close to 80 years old right now, but still going strong and still speaking and still promoting. And it was all about um, the book, uh, The Science of Getting Rich. Yeah. Right. So I've heard of that book. Did you write that book? uh, Yeah, it was a little deep in sections, but um, overall it was a, is a great read, you know, and um, that's what Bob Proctor's whole teaching philosophy is all about. And he's gathered so much information over his 60 years of doing this that, you know, he just speaks so well. So I, I spent a year, I didn't take the, the small course, I took the big course and spent a year just going through all the courses that they have, like six weeks at a time. And, uh, and it was great. So it really set me up for KBB. Now you want to take your business to the next level, get into social media and marketing and yeah. just thinking differently, you know, thinking it with a, a millionaire mindset. It's like, it's not lack, it's abundance, you know, and that's, that's what we got to think about. And then go to your future, see your future, feel the emotion that you feel in your future as success, and then bring that back with you. And then each time you're struggling or finding, you know, trying to find the path, just keep thinking, wow, I've seen my future. I know that feeling. That's, you know, that's the attraction process that, you know, the law of attraction, that's what, you know, all of a sudden these serendipitous events show up. Absolutely. Well, you're attracting that to you. 
And if you're feeling the other way, like, oh my God, this is so hard. Why, why am I doing this? You know, like six years ago, I tried this and it didn't work. You know, what am I thinking about? Why am I doing this? That's what you're attracting then is more of that. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been exciting to, to go through the journey and that's what we got to call it as a journey. Because if you're just on autopilot and letting your phone run your day, or your emails or the business you're in or the job you're in or the people around you, if you just let them run your day, then you're pretty predictable and that's pretty dull. And that's, that's, there's no future there. So you're stuck to that past that you just keep reliving. Yeah. And so many people are there and KBB and Bob Proctor and Dr. Joe Dispenza is another great uh, speaker. Um, You know, all those guys just speak about, you know, your thoughts control your future. So think about it in the right way. And that's, that's true. So true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we've all been there, right? Especially as entrepreneurs, you know, you think, wow, this is going to be fantastic. And two yep. weeks later, nobody is called. Yeah. It's like, shit, what am I doing? Yeah. What am I thinking about? Yeah. And then you start second guessing yourself and then you start tearing yourself to pieces and it starts this downward spiral. And yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people that I've worked with that, I mean, you, once you've been through those type of things, you can see the pattern, you know what I mean? You see it even before they do, because you've been through it, you know, and um, I came from corporate. So, you know, I very much lived the live by my phone, live by my email, live by the, what they told me to do go show up at work, didn't really feel like I was making a difference, showed up anyway. And I just was going through the motions of it. And it just, I was miserable. And like I said, I have a bunch of kids. Um, at the time I, I had had um, four kids and I was pregnant with my fifth one. Um, my fifth one, he's autistic. So we didn't know that he was autistic until he started to get about you know, 18, 20 months old, but he's autistic. And um, he made it very hard for me to, live that schedule because autistic children are not on a schedule. You know, they very much, you know, go by the beat of their own drum on so many ways, you know, and I couldn't really plan kind of what child I had that day. Um, and it made it very hard for me to show up at work and, you know, be at the meeting that I need to be at at 7am because I didn't know how he was going to be that day. I couldn't leave him in the middle of a meltdown that only I could help him with, you know? And so I ended up having, you know, having to kind of leave that job and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. You know, um, like most other families in America, we had kind of designed our life that both of our incomes were very much needed, you know, and, I was kind of in a panic at first, like, oh, I don't know if I can afford to leave this job, but I can't afford not to. I don't really have a choice. So I ended up freelancing for a long time. And again, I still at the time didn't get away from the living from by my phone and by my email. Cause at that point it's like, oh, you'll pay me to do this. Fine. Okay. I'll do this. I was jumping through whatever hoop they wanted me to. Cause you know, I was just needed to make a living. And you know, it wasn't until much later I was able to, you know, actually start my consulting marketing consulting company that, you know, I was able to start to get a little more freedom on being able to do things that kind of more niche Were you in marketing in the corporate. I was. Um, okay. So I, I mentioned earlier that my, the longest thing I've done is my wellness world. So 2001, I became a trainer. I was working for different gyms and I even worked for a hospital based gym for a while, doing a lot of specialty things like cardiac rehab and, you know, different therapeutic things, stuff like that. Um, but then I, I was married before my older four kids are from my first marriage. I ended up divorced, wasn't in the plan, but ended up divorced. And 
my second income of being a trainer went from being okay as a second income to how am I going to raise four kids by myself on a personal training income. So I looked at going back to school and figuring out what I was going to do. And honestly, it wasn't one of those things that I'd always, it's not like I was like, I always dreamed about being in marketing. It wasn't that it was, what could I do that I can make more money at and that I feel that I could do fairly quickly because I needed to make money then. And I feel that I have a knack for, so it's not going to be a giant learning curve. And I came to marketing only because even with training, I was constantly having to market myself just to be able to get clients. And I was helping the gyms that I was, you know, training in market their stuff. So I, again, it was just one of those things. I was like, well, I'm already doing marketing. I might as well learn more about marketing type of thing. And it wasn't like, I always dreamed about being a marketing, you know, definitely wasn't one of those things. It was very, you know, basic necessity decision. And, um, but I ended up finding out that I did like aspects of it. There was aspects I don't like, um, but there was aspects that I very much liked. And, um, I was good at it. You know, I was, I was just naturally just, just good at it. So, you know, I've stuck with doing a lot of stuff in that world. Um, now that I have my own company, I can kind of pick and choose. I don't like doing that part of it. So I'm not doing that part of it. Um, I wasn't able to do that when I worked for somebody else, but um, you know, my wellness world has always, always been um, something. Well, since I started doing marketing, always been something that I kind of did just on the side, a little bit here and there, because it's funny up until the last couple of years, I, I did, uh, even though I was getting, you know, these certifications as an integrative nutritionist and I'm an herbalist and I'm finishing up my PhD as a natural health practitioner, I'm paying money and spending money to do this stuff. But I, I, I felt called to do it so much that I almost felt guilty about charging people to do it, which is silly. If you think about it, I know this, like, like I would tell somebody else, you're completely ridiculous for thinking like that. But at the time I was like, that's okay. It's on me, you know, you know, and, um, you know, I just didn't charge for it for so long. Um, because I had my marketing world, that was my moneymaker. And I had my wellness world. That was my passion. And because it was my passion, I, I falsely told myself I shouldn't charge money for it because it was my passion that it was somehow cheap in it. And which is not true. And I know that, but I told myself that for so long, um, that I believed it, I guess, you know, <laughs> I guess yeah. sometimes. and, um, it was funny because I decided, I'm like, okay, well, I still want to help people and do things. And I know some people can't pay. So, you know, I, I have people fill things like at four amount. And if they can't afford to pay what I normally charge, um, I do do discount rates for people just, you know, on a case by case basis, depending on what they're needing done, because I do want to help people. And like a lot of people that are in the wellness world, a lot of us are very much empathic and very much helpers. And we just want to help, 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 help all the time. But at the same time, it's like, you have to draw a line and draw some boundaries. And I was terrible at that for a long time on all aspects of my life. If you listen to my podcast, you'll hear all the ways that I was terrible at establishing boundaries in every aspect of my life, my personal life, my relationships, my business, all of it. I was horrible with boundaries. It was something that I was just not naturally good at because I thought that in order to be a helper, I had to just be a martyr, you know? <laughs> yeah. So well, I mean, that's the balloons thing you're talking about yeah. too. Trying to juggle all of them at the same time, instead of just making it layers of your that's, day. Absolutely. Kind of yeah. So explain a little bit what, uh, what you do, like, what, what do you do? You say you're in the wellness world. So what? Uh, well, no, I'm not in the wellness world, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, when you, when I saw your um, post on the Facebook group for KBB, I responded and it said, they're doing a podcast to, so, you know, what's your topic. And the topic of the week for me was stakeholder capitalism. Oh, okay. 
so, <laughs> so I, I found a few different people to be listening to and really enjoyed the whole concept of stakeholder capitalism. And my son sent me this podcast a couple of days ago. And as I'm listening to it, you know, they're talking about uh, men and, you know, how men have kind of vacated lots of families and kids are growing up without husbands. And, you know, there's a, feminism, masculinity aspect to whoever it was I was listening to. And I, I didn't, um, like, I don't subscribe to that type of, I don't know if it's politics or not, I guess it could be. Uh, but so. at the same time, he says, you know, well, the silent majority are standing by as some of these groups are just getting bigger and bigger and, you know, going to roll us over without really knowing. So as I get ready to do our, podcast on stakeholder capitalism I'm thinking wow this is this could be my political piece I guess yeah. for for the corporate world so I spent some time in the corporate world as well and uh, you know kind of worked my way up through a corporation to land in head office and uh, I guess I've got a new boss that November I think or early December and uh, so he invites me to lunch one day just to get to know me a little bit I'm doing marketing for this corporation, no study or anything, cool. just lots of good experience out there uh, in the distribution, <laughs> and hands-on uh, with with end users, right? So, so it got me that far. So anyway, he's brand new. He invites me to lunch. He says, "Well, I got to pick up tickets for the ball, the Christmas ball. Um, so why don't you come with me? We'll drive downtown, pick up the tickets, and come on back." It's perfect. So we get there. We're in line. We're just having a great conversation. I don't know anybody in head office or very few anyway, so I wouldn't recognize anybody in the lineup. As I get to the table to buy the tickets, I said, well, I'll have two tickets, please. And uh, the girl said, well, okay, so no problem. Who's the second one for? I said, well, my wife. This was a, you, you rented a gown and a tuxedo to go to the Ritz-Carlton for this Christmas party corporately yeah. And the lady said to me, I'm sorry, spouses aren't invited. And I thought, I'm sorry, what did you say? She said, spouses aren't invited. And I said, oh, sorry. So I passed her back the tickets and I just looked, turned around to my new boss. I said, sorry, I won't be going. The spouses aren't invited. <laughs> and it was, and he just left the lineup with me. Like We just walked out of there shaking our heads. It's like, you're going to rent a tuxedo? And go to a dinner and dance at the Ritz Carlton <laughs> with company staff. Like it was just the, that was my um, welcome, not welcome, I guess, to corporate because we worked outside of head office, but. Your aha moment. <laughs> it was definitely an aha moment. And, yeah. uh, you know, we talk about stakeholder capitalism and that type of thing or, and shareholder capitalism. That's the versus the stakeholder versus the shareholder. Right. So. Yeah. Um, shareholder is, you know, as Milton Friedman said back in the seventies, that's kind of everybody's go-to point. He wrote an essay that ended up in the New York times, um, saying, you know, business has no risk, no social responsibility. It's only responsibility is to make profits or money for the shareholders. And there's a whole lot more to the essay. I haven't read any further than that. Uh, that was brought up from Simon Sinek. Uh, I don't know if you listen to 
him or not, but a great, yeah, Start With Why, great mm-hmm. book. And uh, so as I'm kind of listening to Simon and explain about, you know, some of the things he's talking about, the shareholder capital and Milton Friedman starting point for a lot of these new groups now, it's, it's an awareness thing for me. It's like, wow, let's, yeah, let's get everybody talking about this. So the stakeholder is everybody from the shareholder to the upper management and C-suite, you know, people that are being frowned upon most of the time, when, especially when you see a big bonus from a public company in the millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars or even billions of dollars in some of the investment firms as a bonus. Mm. Meanwhile, the receptionist is probably getting paid minimum wage in that, not probably not in that particular company, but if you consider all the way down the line, yeah, you know, the receptionist is front line in these companies and a lot of times they're paid minimum wage or, you know, just a Barely base above. salary and, yeah. and there is nothing more, you know, meanwhile, she's struggling to catch three buses to drop her kids off at the daycare to get then to work on time for nine o'clock in the morning. And then lots of times she's expected to stay after just to, you know, fill in someone's lack yeah. of planning. Yeah. Right. So wouldn't that company be far better off providing her some sort of an allowance to put those kids in daycare mm-hmm. and to, you know, shorten that trip in the morning so that she probably could stay there at six o'clock and would feel good about doing it as opposed to, Oh my God, you know, I can't wait to get another job. Right. So that's stakeholder capitalism. So the awareness of that, and there's lots of companies on board, uh, big companies, you know, and to me, I think it's all about training the leadership. Most definitely. You become a manager because you were there for six years and there's really nobody else because we don't want to get the guy that was there for only two years. You know, he seems pretty smart, but that'll be stepping on your toes, I think. So you're going to be the new manager. And that's as far as it goes for training. You know, then you learn the system of putting in the time cards or whatever else you do as your manager in that position. And and then that's it. So you're trying to deal with issues and and the receptionist with the three kids who's trying to get them to daycare who needs to get off at four o'clock today. Absolutely. So, so those things, I think as an awareness campaign, um, there's a number of great groups out there just talking about stakeholder capitalism. So I thought this would be a great topic. And, you know, I think we can all relate at some point, you know, we've all worked probably not corporate, but we've all worked in jobs that jobs where you don't feel like we're appreciated. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or recognized, you know? Yep. Yep. And that's what, I mean, that's basic human level is we want to feel appreciated. We want to feel useful. Um, And it, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur minded person or not, we still want to feel appreciated, valued and like what we're doing makes a difference. I mean, that's just human. And yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I, you know, there's a lot of companies that lose some really, really great people because they're not paying attention to those little things really would be little to them, but it would be huge for their employees. Yeah. With very little effort, you know, and so the boss or the CEO doesn't get the million dollar bonus this year. He gets 
685,000 because yeah. we're going to take the other 300,000 and spread that out across a program that's going to appreciate, you know, all the, the family dynamics that we have, not just the, and that would be tax deductible. So it's not like they're losing all of it. (laughs) Yeah, It would be a tax deductible business expense. So explain to me what, what do you like? What do you do? What does, what does Steve do? What do you- uh, well, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. I've got about nine irons in the fire or balloons in the air. Yeah. And yeah. I'm struggling to try and determine, okay, where's my path? Yeah. So uh, my bread and butter was uh, selling private investments okay. through a, a registered dealership. And so most of that would be real estate. So you put in your ten, fifty, five hundred thousand dollars into a real estate investment, either it's a development or they're purchasing apartments in Phoenix or, mm-hmm. or wherever. And uh, you wait, let the company execute their plan and get paid out probably quarterly mm-hmm. um, in a increasing amount each, each month or each quarter. And then at the end of three or four years, uh, the plan has been developed to the point where 60% improvement, they've increased all the rents and well, we made 20% on our money year over year as we look at it. So that would be a pretty typical investment for us. We've had others in the tech industry, others in the finance industry, and you know, we've had some failures, we've had lots of positive in the real estate. So now they do real estate. Uh, here in Canada, the regulations uh, just keep getting stacked against us as dealing representatives. And uh, I, I'm just burnt out. I, I'm done with it. Yeah, um, I get that. Great group. I really enjoyed the company I was working for and uh, got some lasting friendships out of that as well. So I'm leaving, but I've decided to leave. Yeah. So I'm leaving on a good note. And KBB, Bob Proctor, uh, Tony Robbins, you know, all the study that I've done over the last two years, there's definitely more out there. And I, I've decided that I have to to leave the my bread and butter, mm-hmm. you know, because I always thought, well, if making widgets doesn't work, then I can just go back to selling more investments. And in the last two years, I know it's been a crutch. So... So now I've made the decision I'm done and I'm a knowledge broker now. There you go. So for me, uh, I've got some great experiences. I'm a tradesman. Um, I've worked in corporate. I've done marketing. I've done sales, you know, so the whole journey has led me to where I am today, which is to now create a business as a knowledge broker. So workshops, you know, let people know even during COVID there are other things you can do. So, you know, the affiliate marketing, I've started a Shopify store in March, uh, just kind of got, took another course and got that up and running, you know, so now I can do Facebook ads. I'm still trying to figure out Instagram and Facebook ads, I guess, but the practice and the ability to practice is there. So I can just keep practicing and, and, you know, there is a formula to the whole thing, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah, it's been a learning curve, but pretty excited for my future. I've seen it. I've been there. I feel the emotion that I have when I'm there. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, it's not always about cars and planes and big no. homes and all that stuff. It's, it's just, we have our Thanksgiving weekend this past weekend. So we just had 16 family members at our house last night. We all sat down to two big long tables. We're spaced out as much as we can yeah. trying to do the uh, social distancing thing. Cause we're all coming from different cohorts, but yeah. we were family and it's the first time we've been together in uh, quite a long time. And that's success, right? Absolutely. That's, you know, the love that was in the room, uh, the kids the, the were grandparents as of the end of July, like that's success, you know, where we've got a beautiful family and we share everything we have. And, you know, so that's success. And that feeling is just, that's where I want to be. That's my future. I completely agree with you. And you actually answered a question that I didn't even know I had. I seen, I'm, I'm not in Canada, I'm in the U S but I seen somebody posting um, last weekend, like happy Thanksgiving. I'm like, did they accidentally post this? I don't, they must've been in Canada. Cause I was thinking somebody was like filling out their social media schedule, you know, and flopped oh, yeah. in the wrong day. Cause I'm like, why does it say happy Thanksgiving? I didn't realize that Canada's Thanksgiving was was last weekend. So you answered a question I didn't even know that I had. Well, we'll probably be buried in snow by the end of November, which, you know, yeah. harvest season is already done here. Okay. So, okay. Well, that, that answers so many of my questions then. Cause I was like, why did she post that? So, okay. Well, happy belated Thanksgiving in Canada. Thank you. So have you, did you grow up in Canada? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Newfoundland. Okay. So it was a small town, uh, pulp and paper mill, and uh, it lasted 100 years. Oh, wow. As high school students, you know, it was always, wow, we're going to get the summer job down the mill, make $5 an hour or whatever. Yeah. The, the minimum wage was two eighty-five, I think, when I started packing groceries at the yeah. local co-op. And uh, was fortunate enough to take a trip away to BC, cross the country, from Newfoundland all the way to BC on the West coast with my brother and spent eight months up there as a big company was shutting down. So it was 5,000 layoffs across the province. So now I'm competing there mm. end up fighting fires, make a few bucks for three or four weeks and came on home from that. And then ended up getting a job in the mill, getting an apprenticeship for welding. So uh, excellent experience and then got laid off from there, then got into sales and oh. so then I was the expert because I had done all kinds of different types of welding and processes and seen, you know, massive big pieces of steel broken that need to be repaired to fabricating that little stainless steel unit that's going to go in under the, the wire. <laughs> so, yeah. And then that's where I got to corporate. So came tech, tech rep into corporate, experienced corporate quit after three years there and like, joined the competition. That. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I was like, you're like, that's enough of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you come to realize, right. And then when yeah. I, even one of the good long-term guys there, I went to, you know, when I passed my resignation to my new boss as a, as he, as he was, um, I went around then to say goodbye to everybody. And he thought I was coming to, you know, go for more money or something like that. But I had already written the letter. I knew my, my days there were done. The ceiling for me, I was at the ceiling. Yeah. And because uh, I didn't have a university education. So from there, joined the competition and uh, 
went back to my old territory and then became management with them as well. Completely different, like completely different. Hobart Brothers, Ohio, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You've heard of them. so I'm in Ohio, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. So Hobart Brothers, uh, that's the company I joined as the competition okay. and on their welding wire division. And uh, then they were bought by ITW, Illinois Toolworks. Mm-hmm. So massive company. But the corporate that I was in in Montreal versus the corporate that I was in with ITW and Hobart, complete opposites, like complete opposites. Yeah. And it was just such a different environment and so much to learn so many great people and um, not saying there's not good people in corporate, but just the, the culture completely different and really, really enjoyed that second culture and then ended up moving back to the Maritimes and then out here to Calgary, Alberta in the West where it was oil and gas and, kind of like Texas of Canada is Alberta, right? So big economic driver. Uh, We've seen downturns and we're in our seventh year uh, of a downturn. When the prices started to go down in 2014 and then we had an NDP government for a while and then the federal liberals are in now for the last number of years and it's just crushed the oil and gas industry. So it's been a real battle. So that's led me to, you know, getting into the investments and getting out of the investments and now taking it on as an entrepreneur to say, okay, let's find something else for, for not just me, but for lots of other people that might be looking, I think I can, that's going to be my message. So. I really can see you doing some type of leadership workshops for leaders because, and several times in this conversation, I've heard you mention just some of the holes in leadership and I could really see you teaching some workshops to leaders on how to be better leaders and how to kind of avoid some of these pitfalls that you've mentioned throughout this conversation that, you know, end up happening because, you know, most people that, you know, get into business, at least at the beginning, most of them want to do good. It's just, you get sucked into the whole system. This is, I've seen this like time and time again, you get sucked into the whole system and then you're just kind of reacting and they never think to stop and kind of take a breath and plan the actions and what's going to happen if they make this action and, you know, the cause and effect of, you know, what it's got, what's going to happen to their employees, what's going to happen with this. They're just constantly reacting until I think they almost get this like numbness about them where they're just numb to the whole thing. And it's kind yeah. of like out of sight, out of mind. Um, and, while, and while some of them actually genuinely do not care, I think more often than not, they've just stepped out of it and kind of out of sight, out of mind did enough that where they don't think about it, but they really genuinely care. They just don't know where to start. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I've, I've talked about that, you know, offering workshops as leadership training. And fun. the other part of corporate that I was in was visiting uh, the regions and then visiting independent distributors that were buying from corporate, but absolutely hated corporate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I got to see some entrepreneurs there and learn from them. And some of them ran, you know, a really tight ship. So you walk in there and everything is perfect and everything is set up and all the people are fully educated on the products. And it's yeah. like, 
wow, what a great operation. And I come to find out a few years later that all the people hated working there because it was such a, you know, it was such a demanding, you know, and they didn't really care. It was all about the dollar. And if you're working here, this is what we expect. And there was some activities that went on that were just really unfair to the employees that they weren't aware of either. But, but then there's others that, you know, it wasn't run as quite as tight, but everybody that was there was educated and wanted to be there. And you felt that as soon as you went in. And that was, that was huge. And now that I'm looking back on it, I go back to those stories now and it's evident, you know, that entrepreneur, he wasn't as organized as the other guy, but boy, he had a team around him that just attracted clients back in. Like they attracted people into the store because it was such a great place to do business, you know, so easy to do business. So it was, uh, you got to see all that too. So, so yeah, I think leadership and doing some of these workshops, I've, uh, I've kind of tossed that idea around to the point where I'm on your podcast talking about stakeholder capitalism. (laughs) Well, I mean, seriously, I mean, coming from an, uh, I own a marketing consulting company. So I go in and consult people on out of the box marketing ideas, you know, how to kind of get past the normal check the box, you know, type of marketing and think kind of outside of the box a little bit. So you could totally take that same concept and say, okay, well, I'm a, cause a consultant just means you're an expert in a specific area. That's literally what a consultant means. And you're consulting them and you know what they're doing poorly and then what they, how they can improve something. So the way that I explain consulting to somebody that doesn't understand consulting is I use the analogy. I say, have you ever typed up a paper and you look at it and you're like, yeah, this is great. It's amazing. And then you hand it to your buddy and they're like, okay, well there's a typo here, a typo here. This is a run on sentence. And they're like, picking it to death but you read it like 15 times and you didn't see it well that's because you when we're so close to it we our brain literally tells us what it should say what we think it says and it completely skips over the typos so you have to have somebody else from the outside come in and look at it and help you pick out those typos it's the same thing with a business you may you know, be, you know, somebody that knows that industry amazingly, but sometimes you're so close to it, you're not going to see your own typos. So having somebody come from the outside, that's a consultant in a specific area. And this, you know, with, with the industries you've worked in specifically, you could consult in leadership from those specific areas because you have worked in it. You've seen the problems while you worked it. You've, now you're on the outside looking in and you can come in and help them pick out their own, you know, quote unquote typos. So, I mean, that's literally something that you could offer. And then that could segue into, you know, leadership training and even like team building, because part of the problem ends up being, you know, the team doesn't respect leadership and leadership doesn't respect the team. So there ends up in this dynamic where everybody just pretends to hate each other because, and really it's just misunderstandings from their own perspective because most of the time the team doesn't understand all the stuff that leadership has to do and the whys, like leadership is usually so hush mouthed. I've seen this about why they're making the decisions instead of just telling the people why, because most of the time grown ups can say, okay, well you explained it for me. Yeah, it still sucks, but I understand why now, you know, I don't want to do it like that, but I get why you're having to have us do that. But instead they're like, you know, they just hush mouth about it and it's pretty much just do what I say. And, you know, if you have smart, intelligent people who are good workers, they're usually also very independent and they don't do well with that type of management. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's uh, like transparency. Absolutely. It's, it explains if you know why, then you're, you know, why would you fight it? Yep. You know, you could lose your job if you're going to fight it. Yeah. But if you don't know why, well, yeah, you're going to fight it. Yeah. You don't know if it's coming from the owner or the CEO, or if it's just this guy, that new manager that just got in place to push this thing, if it's his idea or not, but transparency would just make it. It would. Yeah. Because sometimes the little things as an employer, like, why do I have to do it like this? This is the dumbest thing I've ever, you know, seen in my entire life. If they would just explain it, because I'm coming from an owner, like I own a business now. So I see some of the little things that seem stupid, but I explain it to the people working with me. I'm like, okay, I know this seems dumb that we're doing like this, but here's why, because of this, 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 and this. And they're like, okay. I'm like, so I know it seems repetitive and I know it seems like, why am I doing this? And this is why I'm explaining it to you. You know, I like to be able to be that person that I wish I had had, because I'm sure there was lots of reasons that, you know, my bosses had me do the things that I was doing too, but it didn't make sense to me. And I've always been very inquisitive. I've always been very independent and I would constantly have this why are we doing it like this? This is so dumb. You know, so, you know, anytime anybody has that, that thought, even if they're going to do it, they're still not going to do it to the best of their ability because their heart's not in it. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And they don't feel they're helping. No. But if they understood why, and then the tasks, you know, if they've got 50 tasks to do in a day, they can now all of a sudden look at all those tasks and say, Hey, I could cut out four of these because that's not helping us anyway. Get because we're doing it this new way, uh, I can now help the whole company. Exactly. Because I can understand why we need to do it this way, right? Yep. I mean, I agree. And I think that'd be a great, I mean, I I feel like you've got the right personality and the right experience. I think that'd be a great thing for you. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, There's my unsolicited advice for you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You mentioned something a while back, you know, companies all get started you know, thinking they're going to do good. Yeah. Did you see our social dilemma on Netflix? I did not. I have not watched that. Is it good? Uh, excellent. I'll have it's to watch it. very recent. So probably June, maybe July. Mm-hmm. And it just talks about, you know, it's the, the upper management of Google, of Instagram, of Facebook, of, you know, all these tech guys that were building code for, you know, these giants that said, wow, you know what, we could put a like button on the Facebook page and would help people engage and be like, yeah, hey, great idea. You know, it's all fun, all happy. And now, I mean, Facebook as the example um, can sway the vote by doing things legally. They don't think Russia actually hacked anything. They just fed the media misinformation or whatever, like lots of rumors and all that, the rest of it does. Um, So, you know, they did things and shopped for people and paid for ads and that type of thing, just like everybody else can Mm. and uh, probably swayed the vote. Who knows? But it's pretty divisive down there. But these guys start to talk about, you know, why they put the like button on and, why it was such a great idea in the beginning. And now the information that they gather, the algorithms and the the data they've collected, like they said, you'd be scared to know what Facebook oh. knows about you. Oh, I'm sure. And, right. 
And then, you know, Google links to Facebook, links to Pinterest, links to Shopify, links to Instagram. It's like, you know, and they all know what's happening and it's, it's unbelievable. So if you want a Shopify store or Amazon or something, and you've got, you know, $30,000 a day to start advertising on Facebook, mm-hmm. your store will be a success because yeah. <laughs> right? you can buy your audience and they will target and they know the numbers, you know, you're going to meet like 9 million people a day, <laughs> right? Yep. Or whatever the crazy numbers are. And you can actually buy sales through Facebook. So the process we're learning is $5 a day. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, once you strike that product, that demographic, that audience um, niche, you're going to market to that. And Facebook can help you dive in deep. So this was this movie uh, it's a documentary. They've exposed it. And I guess it's probably not exposed. So that might not be the right term, but they're sharing their thoughts on it. And they all said at the end, you know, our kids will never get phones. Yeah. Our kids will never be on social media. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they did it in a really good way. It's pretty engaging as a documentary. So. That's pretty awesome. I like documentaries. I always have. I'm like one of those people that I've never been really into TV. It just seemed like a waste of time. Like I'll put on like some type of old sitcom or something and listen to it while I'm like doing housework or something, but I've just never been one of those people that just likes to sit and watch TV, but I do like documentaries. Um, I don't know. I like them. I haven't seen that one yet. I've seen it advertised, but I haven't had time to watch it yet, but it is in my watch list. Yeah. And get your kids to watch it too. Yeah. Like they throughout, they introduce you to a family and a 19 year old daughter, 17 year old son, and a probably a 10 or 12 year old daughter as well as the family. And then the parents, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's got a phone and then they're having supper, you know, and mom's fed up with everybody looking at their phone. So put them all in this box and we'll put it away till after supper and and you know just all these scenarios right that you'd probably have as a family with social media and um, and then it shows uh, the the giant google we'll say um focuses on the 17 year old boy in the family so they've got three tech guys in the big computer room with all the monitors and you know they're throwing ads at him okay wait a minute he's about to go nope just sent him an Instagram from his girlfriend's Instagram account that reminded him of a date they had three years ago. And oh, we got him. He's still there. Okay. That's another four cents for the ad at, you know, shoppers drug mart or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you get that part of it being put in there as well. And it Wait. starts out as a blank avatar as all these guys are firing ads at him and trying to keep him attached to his phone. And then at the end, it's the kid like dressed identically as you just saw him in the, so, you know, like I say, very intriguing and uh, engaging documentary. So good one to watch. I'll have to watch that. I've, I've seen some real AI stuff just on the Google side. The other company I mentioned that I was involved in, it's called extend marketing partners and they're a Google partner. And um, I've seen some of Google's AI that, will freak you out. (laughs) It makes you like, like the fact that a computer can say that's a happy man that they can, they can tell like in heat sense, 
where you're touching, what you're doing. I mean, it's crazy bonkers, like Terminator stuff. I mean, it's stuff that makes you think back to the old Terminator movies and like, what have we done? You know, type of thing. Like at what point are these computers going to be smarter than us and just take over? You know, type of thing. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of one of those things, obviously being in the marketing world, I have to know a lot about Facebook. I have to know a lot about Instagram. I have to know a lot about Google. I have to know these things because they're a tool that if you are in the business world, you have to utilize because if you don't utilize them, you're dead in the water. But at the same time, it also gives you a respect for just how powerful it all is, you know, just at the little bits that I get to see what goes on. And I know I see just like a fraction of what, really goes on and it's still enough to gives you like goosebumps so like oh terminator yeah. <laughs> i mean it's it's crazy it really is did you ever see the movie player one i have yeah i've seen that movie yes that's player a great one. movie <laughs> yeah player i forgot about that movie player one yeah exactly that too it's a great movie to talk about corporate and yes. the little guy right yes. and uh yeah i mean there's there's a there's another movie too where uh, i can't remember what it is but um they've got a smart house and the house pretty much takes over. And okay. I don't remember what it is, but that like, seriously, these things are the things that pop in my head. I'm like, I don't know. I'm deranged or something. These things pop in my head as we're talking about putting in this new system in our house, actually reason. And that made me think of that. And I, all I can keep thinking of is smart house that, 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 that whatever that movie was on time ago, smart house where the house just it gets smart and it decides that, it doesn't want anybody leaving. It doesn't want anybody to do anything. And it's able to do that because it's like wired into the entire yeah. home. And yeah. it's like, you know, it's crazy. It's like, those are the things that go through my head, but it's like, it's one of those things that it's, that's where the world's going. So at what level, cause I mean, I used to be that person. I was like, we're never having smartphones. We are never having smartphones. I was, I was that person. We were never having smartphones. As I said, with my smartphone and my iPad, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, I mean, you slowly kind of come around to it. And I still think there's benefits and negatives to all those things. And in our family, and I don't think there's a wrong or right for anybody's family. I mean, everybody has to decide for their own family In our family, they don't get a phone till they're 13. Um, and that's limited still. But because I really don't need one until they're driving, you know, in my opinion, but 13, a lot of, a lot of times they're still involved in sports and stuff like that. So it's convenient to be able to text them and say, what time you get out of practice and, you know, the communication, keeping that open. So that's why we decided 13 because, you know, that's, that's at the, at 13, we usually let them go with sports teams, go with friends without us being there. So we decided that was a good time to have seven kids. Yeah. That's your air traffic control device. So it is. And, it, and it's funny, you know, having seven kids, my oldest is 21. My youngest is three. So I've been through the full gamut and I'm a different mother now than I was with my 21 year old. And she points that out on a regular basis. So she's like, you would have never, you would have never, I'm like, you were the guinea pig child. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know? And it's funny with all my kids, there's things that you figure out, okay, well, that's pointless even to fight that, you know, and there's some things you're like, okay, well, I should pay a little more attention to that because you, you learn a little more. Yeah. You learn yeah. a little more with each of them. Um, but I don't think you ever quite all the way figure it out because they're all so different. And just when you think you've got to figure it out, then, you know, this kid ends up with this personality and this issue. And you're like, Ugh. it's yeah. always, it's, a, it's always a learning curve. And then Facebook will change. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah, exactly. Right? It's well, and it, yeah, everything changed. Facebook changes al- the algorithms. And I've even told this to people. I'm like, I've always preached personal branding anyway on social media. 
again, I've always kind of been that out of the box marketing person that goes, let's not do it like that. Everybody's doing it like that. Let's do this instead, you know, type of thing. And, you know, personal branding allows you that no like and trust factor because then the people get to know you and not just your business. I mean, most yeah. people know me way before they know my business. And, you know, th- that helps because, you know, not everybody's going to vibe together. Not everybody's going to mesh well together. And if you don't like me as a person, that's fine. Whatever. There's a million other companies that do exactly what I do. That, that's completely fine. It's better to know that on the front end <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't like me than it is to kind of get involved and then figure out that we just do not work well together. Um, and another reason is because, you know, and actually KBB mentions this on one level. And it's something I've literally said for years, um, just how people are driven by emotion, you know, driven by emotion. So if you're just putting up an ad that's just like a blank ad and it's just what you do, how much it is, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Most people don't really react to that as much as they do if it's you, your personality, your voice, your everything. Because again, it's giving that no like and trust factor virtually. And so that's why personal branding is just so huge. And if you're doing personal branding well, yeah, it's good to kind of keep up with what you can on the Facebook algorithms, but you're never going to completely figure them out. I mean, you know, you've taken certifications and stuff. I think you mentioned in Facebook, just as soon as you think, you know, something, they change it like come on, yeah. you know, the next second. So even I talk to people at Facebook because we manage a lot of Facebook stuff for people and I've called people at Facebook and I'll be mentioning something like, well, I didn't know that. I was like, it was on the call last week. Did you not get on that call? I don't know. It seems like you find out stuff faster than I do. So even people at Facebook don't usually know what's going on either because it's changing so rapidly. So that's why, yes, keep up with what you can on keeping up with learning things. And yes, definitely tap into people like yourself that, you know, keeps up with things, but developing your personal branding is going to be key on making sure that even when the algorithms change, that you're still relevant and it's going to make, you know, the job of whoever's handling your Facebook ads or whatever they're handling for you so much easier because you're giving them something to work with. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good because that's where I am now. It's like, okay, well, how do I do this? Yeah. Um, you know, corporate stakeholder, like, what yeah you know i mean that's you should do a video explaining that because a lot of people here corporate stakeholder and they might have like i think investors because that's what i'm going to think um or stakeholder capitalism yeah so i I, you know you maybe still bad yeah still bad stakeholder capitalist still bad like a negative connotation so i think you need to like do like a little explainer video just maybe explaining it and you know um I think that's good. I mean, it's good to do, kind of do those things because then you become an authority in that area to people watching it because they're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And especially if you could explain it in kind of real world terms that people understand, even if they're not in that industry. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great idea. So that's, so it gets me excited, Yeah, you know, marketing that and creating that as a personal brand, you know, making that part of the podcast circuit. Yeah. You mentioned earlier you did a speaking circuit. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, how did that go or how did you set that up? It went well. It was, uh, well, the first time that I ever did, I was asked to do it. Um, and I, I was asked to do it for some specific topics. I was teaching um, actually on personal branding at first. I was teaching personal branding, which at the time was kind of, a lot of people didn't know what personal branding was. 
And it was just taking your own personality and sticking that into what you're putting out there to the people. Cause a lot of people was not doing that at the time. And then that's kind of segued into little different pieces of uh, different things. We talked about, um, I talked a lot about the difference in personal branding and what a brand is and then your brand promise and all those things. And I actually use Amazon as a, in my, in my speaking, I used Amazon as an example. I used Airbnb as an example. I used Disney World as an example because those are all brands that people recognize the logo, but a lot of people think that logo and brand is the same thing and it's not you know, the brand is kind of like the promise behind the brand. The logo is just like, Hey, this is my logo. This is how, like with one look, you can tell, you know, what something is, but the brand is what's behind that. Like what's, what's the brand promise. And, you know, with Walt Disney, um, Disney world specifically, it's, you know, to make everything magical, you know, with Amazon, it's to be the most customer centric company on the planet. You know, they'd really just dive into like, being very customer centric. And then with Airbnb, it was to treat everybody like a local. And they've, each of those have done, I mean, you could pick the companies apart about good things and bad things. They've all done whatever. But one thing that they did is they've all upheld that brand promise. And you can see it time and time again. And that's the reason they've been wildly successful is because their brand promise gets considered in every single decision they make. And, you know, Amazon's got a negative, you know, opinion on a lot of employees because a lot of people are like, well, they treat their employees like crap. But as far as customers go, they've got great customer service. I can tell you that 100%. I mean, it doesn't matter what the problem I've ever had with anything. I just call them like, hey, there's a problem with this. No questions really asked on it. It's like, okay, we'll get you a new one sent out. We'll email you a tag to ship it, no cost. I'm like, wow, customer service, you know? And I love shopping local. Don't get me wrong. I try to give a lot of business local, but I do give a lot of business to Amazon because they are so customer centric. They're easy to deal with. And that goes behind exactly what they wanted to do, be customer centric. They knew what the customer needed. They knew what they wanted and they are completely delivering it time and time again. Yeah. I've heard they could be better employers, you know, but that's not the brand promise. You know, the whole idea is behind their brand promise. They are kind of sticking to that and, you know, it makes other companies kind of think when you're starting a business, you know, you need to think, yeah, a lot of people get their colors and their logo and they have it all look pretty, but they don't know, you know, who are they? What's your brand promise? What is your, your one thing that, you know, your, your focus is and that every single decision you make, every workshop, every, you know, speaking engagement, every marketing, everything is going to lead back to that same brand promise. Cause you want to make sure that it does, you know, and yeah. it, you don't have to overthink it. I mean, you think about it, customer centric, magic, you know, live like a local, none of those are overthought. They're very core concept, basic thoughts that are the foundation of the entire business and how the business is built. So, you know, coming up with foundation thought processes for businesses, um, it seems easy, but it's very hard for a lot of people. And I would talk about that and try to help them kind of come up with that because again, a lot of times it ends up being, they're so close to it. It's like, I don't know, I want to do this, but I want to do that, but I want to do this. And I know, I think it's Tony that mentions, you know, the, the seven layers of why, or what are several la- levels of why I used that same, I didn't do seven. I did just however many it got me until I got the answer from them, but ask them why so many <laughs> times, because it's in there, you know, it's in there. Yeah. They just don't realize it's in there. And a lot of times, 
sometimes you're when you're first asked if you're getting this very like blah answer i'm like that's not really that really why i think really hard like dig deep on this and uh, seven levels deep yes and and you know whatever it might be seven maybe five maybe 25 it depends on the person but like you know, getting into figuring out that why is how you develop that foundational brand promise. And from your brand promise, you really develop your brand and what you want to do, who you are. And it's not as limiting either. Like you think, oh, if I pick that, it's going to be, I mean, very limited. No, that's who I am as a person, who I want my company to be as a person or a company, whatever. And Everything that I do, whether it's speaking, whether it's podcasting, whether it's a class, whether it's whatever it is, if it's all going back to that core, you know, thought, and it's all going back to who I am, you know, then it's going to work. Now, if those things don't line up, like if, you know, you're picking things to do that doesn't go in line with what you want your core concept of your business to be, and it's against everything you've ever believed and everything you've ever thought as a person, that's never going to work. It's never, it doesn't matter how much money you think you're going to make on it. You're going to make no dollars because (laughs) it's not going to work because it doesn't fit in with, you know, you as a person, you as your core concept, you as your belief systems, you know, all of that. It's a different set of balloons. It does. It it, it completely messes up. And, and, you know, and I think a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we come up with this great idea. We're like, oh, this is an amazing idea, but we don't stop. And I I say we, because I've done this like a bajillion times, fell on my face a bajillion times, but you know, we come up with this great idea. We're like, oh, it's a good idea. And it's not that the idea is wrong, but we don't stop and think, okay, how does this fit into, you know, my boundaries? I mentioned boundaries early, my boundaries, you know, my priorities, you know, my core belief system. How does this, all of this stuff fit together? Because a lot of times we're so focused on the action of it. Oh, this is a great idea. I'm going to do this that we don't stop to think, how does it all fit back here? And then we don't figure it out till we're out there and we're doing it and it's not adding up and we're very uncomfortable this part of it over here. And, you know, it just ends up being just a big mess because we didn't take that time to stop and think and plan. And I use the analogy of kind of building a house, you know, you lay the foundation and then you build the walls and then you build the roof, you know, and you could, you know, lay that into, you know, um, values being the foundation priorities being the wall and you know the actions being the roof well a lot of us entrepreneurs are just throwing that roof up there and wondering why it's just hitting the ground over and over you know because we haven't (laughs) taken the time to build the foundation and build the walls because we're in such a hurry to just go ahead and act and i get that on one level because i trust me i've been there a bunch of times but it's far better to figure out okay how do we need to build this foundation now there are some people that wait too long and spend five years building their foundation and there's no reason to spend five years building your foundation you know but as long as you've got your foundation you're comfortable with it and if you know that's your values and you know you've got your priorities it's fit it's it's fitting in with your family dynamics and your you know your marriage if you're married and you know all that because a lot of people again they're like yeah i could totally be in new york and I'm a lot of people I'm speaking for i can be in new york i can be in new york and then all of a sudden i'm going to new york every other week for a project. How long do you think that lasts? Because I have a husband who was not happy. I'm leaving every other week, you know, he's fine at first. And then I get, he gets less fine as the time goes on, you know, and then I have kids and I'm panicking. I'm not happy. And I can't fully focus the whole time I'm gone because I feel like a terrible human because I'm gone. You know, you can't focus the whole time you're home because you're getting ready to focus on going again. Exactly. So it's like, 
was I that got to live that lifestyle yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So when you ask Travel. yourself, is it worth it? You know, so, and yeah. for some people, depending on their lifestyle, if they're single and they're whatever, and, or maybe their spouse also travels a lot and that's something that they've worked out in their own family dynamics. Fine. I'm not saying it's always bad. I'm saying, again, you have to look at your values, your priorities and see, do those decisions fit with those seamlessly? Because that matters a lot. And the money is not worth it if that's yeah yeah it just everything else is falling apart nope and i've been there i have been there yeah well we're about quarter to 12 here in alberta yep we're good i'm glad we were able to connect yeah i like this it was good and i i definitely think you should try to do something with leadership i really really do i get that vibe right on well i appreciate that and on the health side of things um one of the first things I started with KBB to monetize, mm-hmm. which I'm offering a service for free right now, because I'm just building the Facebook page and the Instagram and all that is uh, gout. Okay. Are you familiar with gout? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I've, I've suffered with it for 16 years. And then last June, 2019, June, was introduced to a guy that uh, took a blood sample mm-hmm. and as a photograph and then just expanded it up 250,000 times under a microscope and was showing me how poor my blood was. Gave me a whole bunch of uh, more than vitamins, supplements to take and got me to do this uh, colon cleanse and a liver cleanse. Mm-hmm. And I've been 95% gout free Yeah. for going on 15 months now. That's and awesome. I'm, I'm sharing that. <laughs> I'm trying to find guys that have probably been traveling and suffering for 16 years with gout that, you know, everybody thinks it's a disease. No, it's a but symptom. It's not a disease. It's a, it's a condition. Yeah. It's, 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 the, it's symptom, pharmaceutical industry, pharmaceutical industry wants to calm your symptoms. That's it. And the more I research, the more I find there's not very much out there. That's, you know, good information, but I'm, I'm feel like I'm gathering it. I've got an understanding of why my body is in a gout condition, like very mm-hmm. acidic condition. And stress is probably one of the biggest reasons you know, it just, that cortisol drip oh, is yeah. not designed for long-term, uh, you know, no, long-term it was designed, living. Yeah, it was designed for flight and fi- fight, <laughs> fight, exactly. fight measures, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to put all that together in a webinar and, um, that'd be good. and get it up on Mastermind platform. So I think that'd be good. If yeah. you need any information on that, feel free to pick my brain. Like I said, that's my wheelhouse as anything wellness related, I'm more than welcome to give you anything, any information you may need. Well, I uh, appreciate that. So are you looking for other guests on your podcast schedule? Always. Yeah. I'm always looking for guests. Okay. Always. Cause a friend of mine is into uh, health and wellness as well. And he's, he's just kind of wondering how to get started. And I said, well, I'm, yeah. signing up here for a podcast. So, uh, and yeah. I didn't know it was health and wellness at the time. Well, it, it's the, this podcast specifically is very layered again, successfully chaotic. So it is, it is 
entrepreneurs. It is people talking relationships, people talking family, people talking wellness, people talking experiences. So it is, I'm getting ready to start another podcast that's going to be solely wellness-based. Um, I haven't got that all the way done yet, but that's going to be happening. But I'll still be doing some wellness stuff on Successfully Chaotic because I feel, again, the whole theory behind Successfully Chaotic is life is chaotic and we all, we, you know, and chaos can be good. It can be bad, but however you define it, but you know, it's all very layered and I don't want to segregate it out, but I do feel doing some short, like almost like inspirational, like today, this is your whatever, you know, today we're just going to talk real quick about, well, gout and do 15, 20, 30 minutes. Like somebody drive to work or listening to something wellness related, something super short. I wanted to kind of take that idea and run with it with just wellness on that side too. Um, because again, wellness is my passion world. And very much like you mentioned a few minutes ago, um, most people think a lot of these things are diseases and they're not gout is a symptom and it's a symptom. It's pretty much a warning light. Your body's saying, dude, there's some major problems going on, you know, and a lot of us don't pay attention to the warning lights, whatever that warning light may be migraines. I have people come to me all the time and they're like, I just can't get my migraines to go away. And I have like five, like five clients right now that are coming to me for migraines. Their migraines are 100% hormonal like caused and people think that's normal. People think it's normal that they have migraines. It's like, Oh, I just suffer from migraines, but they don't realize that that's something that your body is a warning light. A migraine is not a disease. You know, a migraine yeah. is a, bo- a symptom. A-, a migraine is your body saying, dude, there's something going on here. Hello. You know, I'm trying to tell you. And instead of tracing it back to the foundational functional level of why, again, we're asking why on that end too, is, you know, we are going to take a pill. I have a migraine. I'm going to take this aspirin. Well, you didn't get the migraine because of your lack of aspirin in your system. You got the migraine because of something else going on. You know what I mean? So we're yeah. just, I, I use analogy on that. Too. I love analogies. You could tell of, you know, you could be driving a car and your check engine light comes on and you've got a couple of choices. You can pull over and unscrew the light bulb. That check engine light's going to go off or you could, you know, make an appointment, go to the mechanic, have some tests run, figure out why the check engine light come on. You know, either way, the light will go off, but only one why, one way you're finding out the why of the problem. The other way you're unscrewing the bulb, more problems are going to start to come. And that's exactly what happens in the body too. When we're taking that aspirin to cover up that migraine, you know, we're going to end up with other problems too, because, that's our body sending off that warning light that there's something going on. Other things will start happening that then we get maybe back pain and then we get, you know, constipation. And I mean, all these things are all symptoms and they're not diseases and diabetes The like um, diabetes is actually a symptom of your body is fighting. Um, If you're not type one and you're born with a functioning spleen and you end up with type two, then that is something that it's, it's a warning light. Again, it's your body saying we are not handling whatever is going on in your system well at all. And you know, that those are something, those are always treated as diseases. And, you know, there are families that are more predispositioned to have those problems, but they are completely able to be traced back to the why. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Dr. Stephen Gundry. I know the name Gundry. What's the- the plant paradox is the, the okay. latest book. That's what probably where I know him from. There's also, there's a good book. I was going to tell you, cause you're talking about like acidity. Um, do I got it over here? Oh, you're sorry. Yeah. I, I haven't read that one, but I've seen that one. Um, 
trying to think where it's at. I don't know where it's at. But anyway, it's a, it's a, have you heard of the, the, uh, alkaline diet? Uh, well, he does talk about some of that, but, okay. uh, so that's what I would need is the alkaline diet. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the body, obviously the pH gets knocked out by, with a million things, you know, stress being one of them, our diet, even if you eat healthy, the soil doesn't have a lot of the things in it that it's supposed to have. And anymore, you know, I yeah. have an organic sustainable farm and it doesn't matter what I grow out there. It will never have the nutrients in it that it should have. And, you know, you look at these nutrition panels and all the stuff that says, Oh, it's got this much vitamin C and this much. Nah, 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 nah. They're talking about what it should have because they are not testing every single one of those and saying that's what it has. Yes. If you're you know, choosing to eat healthy and choosing to, you know, try to get, you know, as natural as food as possible, it's going to be better, but it's never going to have the nutrients that it had a hundred years ago because our soil has been so depleted. And especially, I don't know how it is in Canada, but especially where I live here in Ohio, there's a lot of conventional farming goes on, goes on. So it's, you know, big fields, big crop, heavy spraying. Um, and Same I'm deaf. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, you're spraying synthetic fertilizers on the soil. It's, it's the same thing as our body of taking synthetic nutrients, synthetic foods, synthetic, whatever, you know, it may be able to look at it and go, okay, this kind of looks like this over here. So I'm going to try to use it like that, but it never is going to work the way that it should because um, our body kind of works like a computer system. And, you know, it, a computer recognizes certain programs that it's supposed to recognize. And it's the same thing with nutrients. Our body's kind of pre-programmed to recognize these nutrients. And, you know, if it's getting the nutrients, great. And if it's in, you know, complete usable form, great. But a lot of times, you know, it's missing pieces and it's like, okay, well, I can kind of use this. Our body's pretty smart. You know, I can, I can kind of yeah. turn this into what I'm supposed to use it on, but it never does it to full capacity the way that it should. So... Well, that's I've what he does. That. That's what Stephen Gundry does in that book. Yeah. Just analogies with regards to your gut buddies and what's happening to the intestinal walls and what, what an yep. aspirin will do yep. to your biome. And oh, yeah. man, I was there with gout like 16 years. And this guy's telling me my blood is absolutely the worst he's seen in a long time. Yep. And I'm feeling depressed and I'm, completely unhealthy i walk with a limp you know and now 15 months later yoga three times a week and i'm exercising regularly i feel fantastic i understand my condition now and i've had gout twice in 15 months and both were like for two days normally it would be 10 days lots of pills and anti-inflammatories and stuff to relieve the symptoms yeah and didn't, you know, kept drinking tea, kept eating tomatoes and, you know, tomato sauce and pizza and white flour, white sugar, right? All the bad stuff, you know, and uh, just being aware of all that now has made a world of difference. And I feel, I'm in really good health again. And, you know, I I had to give up hockey because I couldn't fit my skates on. The lumps on my feet were so big, I got my skates stretched, but Boy, trying to get them skates on with a gout attack is, you can't. Oh, I'd say, so. I'd say it's terrible. I've never had gout, but I've been with people that have, and it's not, not a fun, doesn't look fun at all. No, no. And it would hit you like at the worst times. No. I remember having to go downtown for a meeting and waking up. It was like, oh my God, get to crutches. I'm on crutches and I'm, you know, seven o'clock taking pills, getting ready 
getting in the car, getting to where I got to go, getting the crutches out of the car and the pills are starting to take an effect. And by 11 o'clock, I walk into the conference room on crutches. By 11 o'clock, I can stand up and take the crutches and walk out because the pills have taken their effect and it's not hurting as much anymore. Yeah. A little embarrassing, right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of sucks the confidence, confidence out of you as you walk in the, in the conference room and explain to everybody how you suffer with gout, you know, and it's so that'll be another, uh, direction that I'm heading. So I think it's, I think it's great. And as you can tell, I'm, that's, I'm super passionate about, you know, wellness because like you mentioned, I, I love marketing. I like to help companies and I feel like I help them, but if you feel awful, no matter what you're doing, you're never going to be able to enjoy life to your full potential. And I, that's the reason wellness will always be my top pick of stuff that I love to do. It's because I literally change lives with that. You know, I, you know, I've helped women who have thought they were told they could never have kids and I've showed them things in their diet. It's not like I'm magical or anything, you know, or it's just like, I show them things. It's like, you know, a lot of times, a lot of these issues are symptoms. And if you can give the body what it, needs and you can straighten your hormones out and balance everything out you know a lot of that fixes itself it's not like i'm fixing it. i'm not fixing it i'm just highlighting the things that i see and showing them what they need and fixing it's, the typos know, yeah fixing the typos it's it's you know, allowing them to live their best life whatever their best life looks like for them and yeah i mean like you mentioned it's it's a confidence sucker if you've got some type of health issue that you know other people can see and you feel like doesn't allow you to show up to your full ability at full capacity, which with any kind of pain, you're not going to be able to, you yeah. know? So it's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's great. I think especially since you have experienced that and you've come out on the other side of that, that definitely needs to be something that you talk about because you've, yeah. you've experienced it real world. Well, that's, I got to put a deadline on it and get it launched. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Two weeks. There you go. The end of October. There you go. Thirteenth, right now. The end of October. It's got to be on mastermind.com. Do it. It'll be a Halloween special. There you go. And it's a <laughs> blue all, moon this year. Do you all do you all do Halloween and it shows how much I know about Canada. I don't know a whole lot about Canada. I'm not being just. Do you do Halloween? That's a real question. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. We know. used to have the big Halloween party every year, but okay. uh, this year it'll be pretty tame. So uh, it, it won't be actually. They're they're canceling Halloween. I think. Uh, so they're just suggesting, you know, if you do up your house, you know, do up your house and let people drive around and, you know, still experience Halloween with the kids anyway and have a bit of fun. But if you're not collecting candy, then you're probably doing the world a favor. Yeah, right? really. Yeah. It's well, I know we've always um, been very limited on, on, I mean, the kids love to go trick or treating, but we've always been very yeah. limiting on what they get and how much they get and all that kind of stuff. But like, I know one of the things that I've seen somebody post was an idea and I thought it was a good idea about kind of doing the idea of um, how people do Easter egg hunts, but with little trinkets for Halloween, like a, and it didn't even have to be like, we've done a lot of non-food um, Halloween things like glow in the dark bracelets and, you know, things that they can do that's not candy related. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like we don't ever give them candy. We try to give it better quality, you know, better source than limited amount, you know, type of thing. And, um, especially there's a actually called the, I don't even know if they're doing it now because of COVID, but it's called the, uh, teal pumpkin project. And I was involved with that for a while, just, um, 
we always did the till pumpkin project. And that was, you know, if you put the till pumpkin out, um, people could come there and you had non, you know, food related treats because especially I'm having a child that's autistic. There's a lot of foods he cannot have a lot of things he cannot have. I've, you know, we've been very particular on things he gets and things he doesn't get because, you know, he's, he's been able, we've been able to um, help him with his autism naturally. And, um, you know, he could still experience the whole trick or treating thing and not have to worry about, is he going to get food dyes? Is he going to, you know, all these things. So it's stuff that, you know, you don't think about until you have to a lot of times, but none of that stuff is good for anybody, really. It's true. It's a treat. It is. Right? So if you have it as a treat, then yep. that's, you know, once a month or once a quarter or whatever, then yep. uh, not so bad. But if it's an everyday thing and it's not a treat anymore, then it's an addiction. Yes, oh, I agree. I agree. Your body will crave something like that, like chocolate, mm-hmm. right? When it doesn't have to. I agree. Well, Maria, it's right. uh, midday here. It's All right. Fun. It was fun. Uh, keep me posted on what you're doing. Let me know when your mastermind drives. And if you need any yeah. help, if you get stuck on anything, feel free to reach out. I, I like Yeah, I appreciate it. It was great talking to you. I'll be in touch. You too. I stay on page six. I'm